everyone, this is Viv, and you're listening to the What Gives Podcast. Hey everyone, we are back and it's Asian Pacific American Heritage Month and I'm overjoyed to have one of my favorite nonprofits on the show. I've interned with them during high school and a little bit during college. We have with us the Asian Pacific Islander American Vote, APIA Vote for short, and Christine Chen, Executive Director, is here to celebrate with us, educate us, talk to us. So yeah, I'm excited for her to share with us what APIA Vote has been doing for the Asian American community for a long, long time. So yeah, Christine, thanks for being here. Hi, everyone. Well, thank you for inviting me to your podcast. You know, it's been nonstop, essentially for the last two years, starting in 2019. API Vote has been on the road. We were getting the community ready for the U.S. Census and the presidential elections. And then, you know, obviously with the pandemic hitting us and then also the rise of anti-Asian violence, it's just been really nonstop. And we thought that by the beginning of January 2020 that we would actually be able to take a breather. But unfortunately, as we what we have seen with the rise of anti-Asian violence and then even the insurgents here in Washington, D.C., you know, the work of Asian American advocacy organizations and our community partners has just been nonstop, just out of necessity for our community and to making sure that the needs of our community are being addressed um, by our elected officials and by the government and just making sure our family and friends are taken care of. Yeah, that is something I'm eager to talk about in this episode is how we can work alongside our government and leaders in our community to combat hate, but also because it is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. And so how we can celebrate our heritage by uplifting our voices and our heritage and our representation. So let's set the stage a little bit. Can you talk to me about Asian Americans in politics, our representation in government, and the things API Vote does to move us forward in this front? You know, it's been an exciting time period. You know, the last 10 years, and actually the last 20 years, our population has continued to grow and continue to diversify as well. So when you look at Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander populations, Uh, We're no longer on the East or West Coast. We're in the Midwest. We're in the South, Southwest, you know, everywhere where our population is growing. The U.S. Census actually just came out with the new data and we're seeing Asian Americans growing in every single state except for Hawaii uh, in comparison to 10 years ago. But then with the growth, we're also seeing that there's been more and more APIs running for office and winning their elections. So at the federal level, you know, out of 535 seats in Congress, there are 21 APIs. It's the highest number that we've seen in history, but it's still only 4%. So we still have a lot more to do to create a pipeline for those to be able to run for Congress. But at the same time, when you look down at the state legislature and looking at city council and school board, we are seeing a, a growth of APIs running for office there as well. But, you know, this type of growth, doesn't come overnight. This is all about investments that the community has been raising in terms of resources and also training new leaders to actually do this type of work. I believe that API vote, as we got more Asian American Pacific Islanders to vote 
in the elections and to understand the election process. It actually opened doors for volunteers and those that have never been involved to actually consider running for office. One great example is Stephanie Chang of APAV Vote Michigan. She created our uh, local nonprofit there focusing on voter engagement. She had never intended to run for office, but she knew that she wanted to get out the vote and to talk to our community about issues that she felt was really important, everything from education to economics. And then later on, she was actually tapped and encouraged to run for office. So then she ended up running for state legislature and running and winning. And then more recently, she also won her election to be a Michigan state senator. Right. And this all came out because we knew her as a college student. She got politicized, was you know interested in a particular issue. And then because they saw that she had the talent and because she learned about the process of voter registration, door knocking, how to talk to voters, that actually ended up making her a perfect candidate to run for office. And we're seeing that in other places like um, Helen Gim in Philadelphia. And then when I look at 2020, it's just been such phenomenal um, turnout. Once again, we just recently saw from the reports that our voter turnout in 2020 was 10% higher than 2016 at 59.7%. And that's actually the fastest growth compared to other racial groupings. So there's a lot to really celebrate in terms of where we're heading and, and, the, and also the amount of engagement that we're seeing from the AAPI community. That's awesome. And I actually, I do know Stephanie Chang personally, and we actually went to the same high school, joined the same Asian Pacific American club. Yeah. And we were connected through my high school teacher who also prompted me to intern at API Vote, Mr. Richard Bowie. No, I know Richard. I know uh, he was also with OCA when I used to be executive director of OCA. So... He's amazing. And I love hearing that story because she was not trying to run for office and she just became the perfect candidate and a great representative of our community. Yeah, I love following her. I mean, so I think that goes back to if we really create the right conditions and expose more of our community of different generations, uh, different immigrant experiences to the process and really connect the dots in terms of how issues that you're facing day to day is really connected to government and to the decisions that elected officials make. I think then our community is going to be more invested in terms of getting more involved. I think 2020 is actually a great example because before 2020, we would have to spend a lot more time convincing our community the importance of voting. But because we were stuck at home in a pandemic, everyone was paying attention to the news, trying to figure out, can I go back to work? What are my elected officials doing to deal with this pandemic? Who is actually championing and working to ensure that we're safe as the rise of anti-Asian violence increase? So they're paying attention to these elected officials. So as a result, I think connecting the dots in terms of how things are happening in your own life and to politics it was it was really easy because people were experiencing that. Now that we're in 2021, and unfortunately, because of what had happened in Georgia and and the and the continuing sh um, shootings that we see across the country and harassment and violence, 
more APIs are actually leaning in people into their identity, into telling their stories. We've heard over and over again, so many people saying that, oh, I used to be quiet. I I would just take that remark or take that treatment and just ignore it. But now people are feeling that they no longer can do that because it's only creating the conditions for people to continue to be able to harass and, and take advantage of our community. So I think with that, you know, we have a time period where we can actually now take that energy of folks going to rallies and teach them about like, okay, let's make sure that your elected officials and your government is actually working for the community. What are your asks at the federal government? What are your asks at the state and local level to make sure that the conditions are actually are there to make sure that we have safe communities? That's a great point. Our community is more vocal now and more aware of how politics and government plays out such an important role in our daily lives. Now, speaking about what our government can do for us, what are some of the things we can do with our local and state and national government pertaining to these hate crimes? Well, first of all, at the federal level, you know, we've made headway on the Senate side for the Grace Mang's equivalent to the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act, and then also the No Hate Act. And so now we actually have to get that passed on the House side. And so it is about reaching out to your even your members of Congress, asking them to endorse as well as vote for um, these hate crimes legislation for the, it to pass. But then at the same time, looking at your state and city level to see what type of hate crimes legislation is there. But besides hate crimes legislation, there's also a role that local government has in terms of resourcing agencies that deal with like education and making sure that Asian American curriculum is embedded and incorporated in K through 12 curriculum. Or that uh, we know that a lot of our communities are dealing with the trauma with the rise of anti-Asian violence. So can we have more resources be put into uh, mental health and to ensure that these services are available for those who are limited English proficient? So there are different ways where when we're trying to address the impact that anti-Asian violence has had on our communities, it's not just about hate crimes legislation, right? It really is about what happens afterwards and what we could do moving forward to prevent hate crimes and the conditions to actually bubble up again. So we talked about researching and voting for hate crime legislation adding accurate Asian American history in curriculums and providing more mental health resources. Is that right? Is there anything else we can do? And by we, I mean those of us who are not well-versed in the government and the politics driving these initiatives. You know, there's a number of things that as individuals you could do is, first of all, just even talking to your family and friends about what you're experiencing, what are you feeling, sharing your anxieties or sharing ideas that you have and really invoking conversation with others, especially those outside the API community. I think once again, when we're not talking about our experiences, then others, they think that they know you, they only know you in a one dimensional manner, right? We want to make sure that individuals and family and friends and the greater public gets to understand the API community in multi-layers. So having those kind of conversations is, is a start. But then 
honing in on those stories is actually a great way to actually engage with your elected officials. They need to know how this has impacted you and your family, because it's only with those type of stories will they be feel compelled to actually act on it and try to figure out what are some of the solutions. Because collectively, between your own family and friends, your neighbors, you may actually come up with some amazing ideas that's actually true to your community in terms of what's the best way to address these issues. Yeah, I think having and starting conversations is great advice. I've actually started to do this within my own professional work, you know, pushing the envelope in my own work space. Now, what are some API vote specific things we can do, you know, alongside your organization? Well, you know, besides the public policy avenue, um, I actually want to go back into what you were just talking about with corporations or businesses. The other Mm -hmm. avenue besides talking about your own experiences and and then also looking to policies in terms of your own corporation and business, like how are they supporting API members within your own corporation, but then also how are they investing and supporting the API community outside in their own local um, city or state or even nationally, depending on what type of business they are. Because less than 1% of corporate giving is actually directed to Asian American Pacific Islander communities, and less than half of 1% of foundation funding is also contributed to AAPI nonprofits. You know there's a disparity, and, and the funders do not understand the needs and the complexities of our community. So even resourcing nonprofits and organizations that are addressing different issues of those who are most vulnerable is very helpful and is very much needed just because we've been under-resourced for the longest time. On another angle in terms of what individuals can do is that it's been amazing to see people turn out for all these different rallies, but now we need to take that energy at the rallies and get people to also register to vote. Before 2020, half of our community were typically not registered. And I know that we've made headway Um, since the presidential elections, but we still have a lot more catching up to do. I also want to make sure that this conversation doesn't end at the end of May, right? This type of investment, this type of engagement actually needs to continue throughout the year. We should really try to figure out how do we incorporate telling our stories in our everyday life into our everyday programming that you're doing at work or in other organizations that you're involved with. How can we make sure that we share resources like supporting Asian American authors, supporting Asian American films that are come out and to share with others? Because once again, that is another ongoing way that we could continue to tell our stories and making sure that people understand the complexities that we have and that we're not necessarily just a stereotype. Yeah, combating stereotypes and all these inaccurate stories other people tell about us Asian Americans, it is important that our stories are heard and we are represented. And representation also includes our story in American history and our representation in government. So I do want to go back to the work that API Vote has done, and I know a lot of it is through voter registration. God knows I was out in Detroit doing a lot of those. And, you know, campaign information translation, pamphlet translations, API Vote has so many great resources, and I would love if you can touch on all the resources that you have. 
So what a lot of people don't realize is that for a voter to feel comfortable to coming out to cast their ballot, they need to be reached out to about 11 to 13 times. I know people may complain that you get a lot of phone calls or text messages, but you know what? Be thankful because at least you have the opportunity to be better informed about the process and who's running for office. So many of the API voters are first-time voters. There are also limited English proficient voters that never get touched by the campaigns. So it's up to those of us in the nonpartisan um, nonprofit community like APIVO and a lot of our local partners to do that initial outreach. So many times it's a combination of reaching out to them. For us, we try to send two pieces of mail that's in language, followed up with phone calls and text banking, as well as digital ad buys that are also in language. The more that our voters actually see information, then they're able to process it, especially in language. Then they're able to go ahead and talk about it with their family and friends, or if needed, to actually call us for additional assistance. Last year, our 888 API vote hotline reached thousands of voters because we got thousands of calls back. So our hotline number was incorporated in all of our mail, our phone banking, text banking, and also messages that we left, even if they were not at home. And as a result, a lot of it was because people want to know about the process of like in their state, can they go ahead and early vote? They had questions about mail-in ballots and deadlines. I mean, things were constantly fluid and moving that there was a lot of questions that actually needed to be answered. Heading into 2021 local elections, I think a lot of people have never paid attention to their state legislature elections, as well as city council, school board. So it is really up to all of us to really have those conversations with our own family and friends in terms of making sure that people even realize that there's an election happening. And then also you know, where are the candidates and where are the issues? Maybe you may not even know, right? But maybe you could get together with four of your friends after you've received your vaccine, now that hopefully you could actually come together over a meal and actually research this together and discuss it with your own cohort. And then that way, it's actually a fun activity that you guys can actually do together. So just for awareness, what are some of the local to state to federal laws or actions that are being taken in the government that we can all be aware of. Because I always see those like pick up the phone and call your senator about this and that. And I just kind of sometimes want to list. At the national level, there's really only two hate crimes bills that are happening. It's the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act and then the um, Javier No Hate Act. And so those, at least at the federal level, that's what we're trying to pass. And right now, like I said, on the Senate side, it's already passed. So it's now just about the House side. When I reflect back at the 2020 elections, it's been so amazing to see how how many API voters took full advantage of early voting and mail-in ballots. Over 310% rise of usage of these ways to actually be able to go vote. And so as a result... APIVO is really dedicated to making sure that the People's Act, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, and H.R. 1 are all passed on the House and Senate side. 
These are federal legislations that expands voting access, including early voting, vote by mail, and same-day registration. It also protects us from local jurisdictions in terms of making last-minute changes, especially in areas where they're known for voter suppression, that they actually would have to be able to notify the Department of Justice, making sure there's a due process. In addition, we're seeing that at the state level, there's actually a number of state laws are being proposed to suppress our access to the ballot box to prevent individuals from taking advantage of early voting or vote by mail. And so there's major concerns as this is really ongoing state by state. And so this is something we're going to have to continue to track. And we're asking individuals that are interested in ensuring that your right to vote is still readily available to everyone, that you actually take pay attention to what your local elected officials are actually enacting and proposing at the state level. Now, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about or unpack, really, the Asian hate. Like you and I, we're, we're both Asians. We've been hearing these stories for some time now since the pandemic started. It's been a year of this. How do you begin to approach that? So even though I I know a lot of the incidences have really revolved around East Asians, I would say that it, it is also impacting other Asian ethnic communities. I just would look at like Indianapolis, even though they're still um, investigating the cause and the motive around those attacks, there are some indications whether or not the shooter was specifically targeting the sick workers and the community in itself. So, you know, when we look at why are we so susceptible to this Asian hate, it goes back to what people think about the Asian American community. What are the stereotypes and their and what do they know or don't know about our community? One that a lot of people hear about is the model minority myth, right? Where it's just assumed that we're doing well, that we don't have any needs. And as a result, we're really looked at in a in the singular note and not necessarily understanding the diversity of our community and that there actually are a lot of different layers in terms of our story there. The other stereotype we have is that we're the perpetual foreigner. So no matter if you're fourth or fifth generation, or for myself that I was born here, that when you look at my face, the natural assumption that people have is that you're a foreigner and that you don't belong here. And that they don't understand, once again, all the contributions and our rich history that we have here in the United States. The other aspect and stereotype that we also face is being the other, where we're just missing from the data. We're missing from the narrative. Even at the beginning of this year, when I was looking at all the wonderful data that was coming about the increase of API voters, Georgia and the Georgia runoff, how API voters overperformed, But yet, when it came to looking at appointments in the federal government within the Biden administration, we're missing. We're not necessarily being considered for a a secretary position in one of the top 15 agencies. And it was, once again, it was only after the Atlanta attacks that suddenly the media, the federal government, and other governments and businesses all took notice 
and was wondering how is this happening and why is this happening? And then it was only then that we started hearing more stories actually come out and, and be told by those that have the, the platforms and have the resources to be able to do that. I think it's because of those type of stereotypes that perpetuated us and, and really had continued to allow people to not understand the realities that our community is facing. The other thing that we need to also remember that everyone has their own biases, right? And it's only about whether or not you recognize them and whether or not you act upon them. If everyone can actually understand themselves better, then I think we can actually have move forward in terms of having more thoughtful conversations and move this country forward as a place where we're going to be healing from everything that we've experienced the last, you know, two years, four years or decade. Thank you for that. And before we do leave off, I feel like you have been working with API Vote and in this community and in politics for so long, I feel like you have a lot of wisdom to share. And I was hoping that you could just share one tidbit of wisdom with us. It could be APAM related. It could be whatever, life related. <laughs> you know, I think um, I want to focus on the fact that the reason why I've been able to do this for like 27 years nonstop is because I find joy every single day. So if we could all find that one joy in your life and that one purpose that you have, and it may change from day to day, I think that actually could help keep you focused and help you keep you motivated, especially these days when there's so much trauma all around us. If we could focus on that, that actually can keep us going. And I think that that's just mentally, that's just a helpful for all of us. My gift to you is that I really hope that each and every one of you can find that joy in your life every single day, and then also help your other family and friends also do that as well. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. It has been a pleasure speaking to you. And I'm glad to have this conversation with you for this month. And obviously, this work needs to continue past this month. I so appreciate the wisdom and the lessons that you've shared and all the great information <laughs> that you're able to share with us. Well, thank you for addressing this topic and really motivating all your listeners in terms of what they could really do with this moment in time. enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends. For more information, head to our website at whatgivesproject.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode.